Hello, Waterloo Road super fans. It is Tom, your podcast host, popping in as always, just to give a shout out to our wonderful Patreon supporters. Uh, as you all know, we have a Patreon page, which you can access at patreon.com slash Waterloo Road pod. If you are willing to subscribe, you get access to lots of fun stuff. You get a shout out on the podcast like the one I'm about to do. Um, you get access to exclusive episodes, uh, including our Waterloo Road Awards and our breakdowns of particular characters. You also get extended versions of every interview we do with cast members. There are, of course, three up there already from last year. So, without further ado, I would like to thank Evan Francis. I would like to thank Matthew Kumar. I would like to thank Tom Percival. I would like to thank Georgia Leah, a.k.a. The Avocado Bath, on both Instagram and TikTok. And I would like to thank Eliza from Waterloo Road Iconic. Thank you to all of you for subscribing to the Patreon page. As I said at the top, patreon.com slash waterlooroadpod for those of you who aren't yet subscribers but would like to be. We, of course, have lots of great stuff coming your way on the Patreon in 2021. I can't wait to show it. Anyway, without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. My name is Tom Beasley. I am your host and Waterloo Road super fan, and I am joined by Luke Stevenson. Hello, Luke. Hello, Tom, you liar. I'm trying to keep it upbeat and positive for the first, I don't know, 30 seconds. (laughs) Because I know for a fact that this super fan right here is going to struggle through this episode. (laughs) Oh, I did, thing, I, did, I did not like this episode. The thing I'm getting myself with here is because we've hit a dip, right? And the dip is obviously because Trenerman left. But also, <laughs> it's because the last few weeks have been hard because they're, they're not used to doing more than 12 episodes in a series. Yeah. So that's it. They're just ironing it out. I'm, I'm trusting that series four, they'll have a full 20-episode arc panned out and they'll know exactly what's going to happen the whole way through again i like to keep thinking every time i see one of our like like a waterloo road meme page which is getting increasingly recommended to me on instagram all of the characters in there are not like peak they're not characters that i recognize so we haven't hit peak era yet i'm seeing pictures of school children and i go who are they so that's what i, I, I love i love that you're maintaining the faith i'm I, i'm a big I, big fan of that i feel like the triple hit of losing Andrew, Kim, and then Jack very shortly after was very tough. The show has struggled to recover from that. And I think in this episode in particular, the show is still actually writing Jack. They're just doing it through Eddie at times. Yes. Eddie as a, as a proxy for Jack Rimmer. Um, I have some thoughts before we even get into the episode. Please do. I have some thoughts about the recap. And it's the editing of the recap, I think, makes this show look funnier than it's meant to be. Because <laughs> in it, like, they show you, because what happened last week was uh, Michaela faked being pun- punched by Jasmine. And the recap they show you is Rachel being like, I don't believe you, Michaela. And she goes, what do you think this is? Paint. And then the next one is Rachel saying, Jasmine, punching a child's a really serious thing. We're going to have to suspend you. And it like, makes it look like the, what do you think this is, paint argument worked. 
<laughs> Rachel was like, oh no, she's got me. <laughs> it, it can't possibly be pink, so Jasmine must have punched her. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. Um, so this episode begins with uh, Romantic Type by the Pigeon Detectives. It's a quality choice of tune. Ooh, right, you are, cool. Yeah. You are pulling a face like you've never heard of the no, Pigeon Detectives. I, it's deeply sad. I, no, I think the next... My first note is about a Magic Numbers song, which I think <laughs> follows. Um, so we start with Matt. He is um, going to see his mum later. Um, but it turns out that she has got on a train and is in Rochdale, but she doesn't know that he's gay and she certainly doesn't know that he's living with uh, a partner. Um, and so he starts frantically throwing all of his partner Colin's stuff into a bin bag, including an alarming amount of photographs. How does this man have so many photographs in his house? I don't know, we have a lot of photographs. It's like every surface. It's like there's, there are some proper framed photographs. There are some nice little collages. There are like scraps of paper <laughs> that have got pictures on. The thing is, is they, they own, so they don't have a landlord going to come in and just say, can you take all these photographs down, please? <laughs> yeah. so Me with we my lo- bare, bare flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have lots of photographs in our house, but that's kind of like our act of rebellion because the first landlord we had around here once came in to do an inspection and told me off because one of the pictures had been taken down. <laughs> So, uh, but that's my point. Ooh. Matt throws all the stuff around to a Magic Numbers song, right? Right. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was, I was just thinking, are the viewers of Waterloo Road the only people who have ever heard two Magic Numbers songs? <laughs> they might be. Um, Other than the, them and the people who are at Labour Live. Yes. <laughs> Either way, it was all against their will. Um, so while this is happening... Eddie has gone to visit Jasmine. Eddie seemingly decides in this episode, pretty spontaneously, that Jasmine is like his protege. Yes. Uh, Jasmine, who I believe he has shared three scenes with. Yes. (laughs) It's very unusual. So he goes and visits her um, because she's asked for a reference um, because she wants to go and retrain uh, to go into law. Um, where she'll presumably advise teenagers that if they both confess to a crime, neither of them could be done for it. Absolutely. Um, I'm just like, like this show, right? Just my first thought was Jasmine, who at this point has lost her job for hitting a child, yes. wants to go into law. <laughs> She's like, oh, where, where's the next step for me? I know, the criminal justice system. Or maybe she's just like preparing for her own defense. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so yeah, her hearing is tonight. Um, but she's pretty much decided she's not going to go for reasons. Um, back at the school, they're talking about the, the case. Grantley does his usual thing of espousing the sort of political argument, going, well, the rules only favour one side. The kids can do what they like, all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's odd because the fact we know that the, the punching was fake. Yes. But Grantley is saying stuff like this, which makes you think if a real punching happened we'd also have to feel the same way yes (laughs) like the show really wants us to think that these things are skewed against teachers when like in in reality i'm quite happy that there's a process to get teachers kicked out of school if they punch one of the kids i think that's fine (laughs) on balance teachers punching kids is a bad thing yeah i know and i know that you know (laughs) When I've discussed this in the past, I have often yearned for the children I went to school with to be punched. But if it <laughs> happened, I would have happily been a witness at their trial. Yes. 
Um, so Grantley is, this is one of these, well, it's, it's another of these regular scenes where Grantley is now worried about being short in the English department, <laughs> which is just, it's farcical. No one believes it. But also the first thing that happens is uh, Tom gets out of his car and then Michaela and her crony is like, hello, Mr. Clarkson, raising their eyebrows. Three years in and people still think he's a sex icon. They still think it. It's part of this thing that goes on throughout this whole episode where all of the teachers are just openly scowling at Michaela for the whole episode. <laughs> They're just like openly victimising her with their eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's like the um, the part in High School Musical 2, now stay with me here, when the um, like summer showcase gets cancelled and then Troy walks in to get his lunch and everyone's like sad and morose. But then he goes and produces the best song ever committed to film. Michaela doesn't get that moment, so that's why I think this episode tired me. I was waiting for her bet on it, and it just never came. Um, I, I'm going to assume that everyone went with you on that reference. I did not. Um, have you not seen High School Musical 2? Um, I have not seen it in full, I don't think. I've seen You've not seen f- it in full? I've seen the first what? one. I've probably seen most of it in clips. How have you, like, I don't understand how you could start High School Musical 2 and at any point turn it off. <laughs> And that is where we differ. Um, <laughs> I'm so, it took me eight attempts to watch Blade Runner from start to finish, but I've never once turned off High School Musical 2. Um, so meanwhile at the school, um, the lights aren't turning on. Um, it turns out that Mika and Brett have dismantled all the lights in the school or something. Um, I don't they... want over... to overstate this, Tom. But I think this Brett and Mika storyline might actually make me a climate change denier. <laughs> As I speak, parts of the Western Hemisphere are on fire, but I but Waterloo Road is making me think, nah, that's a myth. <laughs> you don't even drive, but you've bought four Jeeps in the last 24 hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just have them produced. That's what I said. I'm, just, I'm paying people just to drive it around the street. <laughs> So they they say it's like a ransom of something to get Eddie to bid his car. He accuses them of infantile politics, at which point they say that Rachel's given them some sort of permission to do it. What I what my question is is what are they replacing them with? Because like, sorry, were LED light bulbs a thing back then? I I don't know what the standard of lighting was in two thousand eight. Because, like, that was, I think, when I, like, when we moved in here and we had, like, our little meter fit, a little smart meter, the guy yeah. was like, oh, buy LED light bulbs. You're, they'll basically last a billion years and mm. cost you a penny. Um, and, but were they a thing in 2008? I don't know. Was, was Waterloo Road LED? led LED? <laughs> Who can say? Um, so Eddie goes to see Rachel. Um, Rachel says that... Um, that, yeah, of course, she gave them permission to let them do something. She says Eddie would would charge into situations because, as you alluded to earlier, he is now Jack. Yeah, he is just... He's Jack. But yeah, her, the kind of permission seems to have been that they're allowed to kind of take some initiatives and then Rachel seems to have paid no attention because Rachel was there before all of this happened. Rachel is in her office. Yes. So at some point... She she was in there in the morning. Brett and Mika. How did Brett and Mika get there before Tom? There's a question. <laughs> they, they come in and they say hi. We want to you know we want the school to be more energy efficient. She goes okay, and then pays no attention to the children taking down all of the lights. <laughs> How early have they been? Like 
I have the we have a similar kind of strip light in our kitchen that doesn't really work properly, but I have no idea how to take it down. So it has stayed that way for 18 months. Yet these kids went through every single strip light in a whole school in one morning. <laughs> Maybe Rachel helped. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's all strange. Uh, at this point, uh, Wilson Bingham shows up, uh, who is the supply teacher who's covering Jasmine's classes. So, meanwhile, at Matt's, uh, Matt's mum has turned up. Um, she's talking about how Matt should settle down. She makes a crack about he should move somewhere that's got room for a nursery. Um, it turns out that the reason she's come to visit is because it's the anniversary of um, Matt's dad's death. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're rela- his relationship with his mom isn't perfect, but they meet up because it's this significant occasion. My point um, earlier on is because she gets to the train station and then gets in a taxi and she gets there so quickly that it's, I make think that the taxi was not necessary. Yeah, it's within like, it's the montage of him putting the photos away. Yeah, yeah. It's at, like at, three at, minutes. Yeah, at most two or three minutes. And yeah, yeah. That taxi was just not necessary. No. Where's Brett and Mika? <laughs> like, she could probably see Matt's apartment from, <laughs> from that station. Um, so it just so happens this all coincides with the day that the kids are going on a school trip to um, Collins Venture Capital Firm. I didn't have any school trips to venture capital firms. <laughs> No, and also these are the kids who the school believe won't get any qualifications. They're doing the step up to work program and then sending them to a venture capital firm. <laughs> and like, I know the idea is that you can kind of like teach them you need to be entrepreneurial and you know you can just set up your own business and whatnot. And you know the people who did that in the mid noughties are now destroying Western democracy. So let's not encourage Janice to do that, shall we? Um. So Matt reveals to, to Colin that he has hidden away all of Colin's stuff um, and effectively evicted him from his own flat. Um, at this point, Colin is understandably angry um, and says to Matt, you should just be straight with her. Oh, wait, that's what you are being. Someone and wrote that he line. drops the mic and leaves. <laughs> Someone wrote that line in series three, episode two. And like in the writers' room for that day, they wrote that line. They're like, right, at some point we're going to use it. They did a victory lap, doing high fives with everyone. <laughs> it was just like, all like I couldn't hear it over the sound of audible groaning I was making, <laughs> expecting it to happen. Um, at this point, we get the uh, the unofficial theme song of this episode, which is "Is It Any Wonder" by Keen, or more specifically, the opening like eight bars of "Is It Any Wonder" by Keen. They recur constantly throughout the episode. I've, I like your ability to just pick out Keen songs is mad to me. <laughs> didn't didn't need Shazam for that one. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I didn't. I, did, I, I didn't realize how much of a Keen stand I was, but apparently, <laughs> it sums up how vanilla we both were as teenagers, <laughs> but also how I was still slightly edgier. That I can pick up the Killers' Night and Kook songs, but you know Keen very well. It was a big, like the noughties was a big time for the K's. Yeah, K- Kaiser Chiefs. Kaiser Chiefs, Killers, Kooks, Keen, <laughs> lots of others. Kings of Leon, they're a thing. Yeah, yeah, they're a thing. <laughs> Claxons. Oh, I'm obsessed with this now. <laughs> 
That's something we, we should put this on. We should do a Patreon where we just review bands with K at the front of their name from the mid noughties Oh, I feel like this Patreon has really created a monster in you. Um, <laughs> if I can do it, I can monetize it, Tom. <laughs> uh, so Colin says, um, no, I'm not having this. Uh, I'm not going to stay with one of our friends. I'm going to sleep in my own bed tonight. Um, Matt steals his keys. Um, <laughs> at which point Maxine is, is listening into their whole conversation. Um, she stirs the pot by asking, um, asking if, they're, if they're a gay couple. Um, and they're they're very evasive in a way that immediately makes Maxine text all of her friends and uh, spread this information around the school. It's very, I know we're we're looking back on this with a twenty like a twenty twenty vision, and I should have I should have asked before we did this, but one of my close friends is a secondary school teacher and is also gay and lives with you know his partner, and I'm pretty certain like when we've spoken to him about it, I'm pretty certain he's very open with the kids about it, and none of them have a problem with it so it feels difficult from now to look back on this and go wow the way these kids are reacting is weird i wonder if it's the if part of it is like the scandal of discovery Mm -hmm. so i think you know if if it was oh mr wilding is gay and we've always known he was gay it might have for a week been a bit dodgy but then they would just would have gone, but because it's all this teacher who's been around for a little while, there were probably already rumours because he's a drama teacher who's into musical theatre. So there would have been rumours. So it's all, they probably just, you know, kids, these are not kids, good kids. <laughs> kids are savages. Yeah, it's not a, not a world of tolerance. Um, Jasmine is in her home there's lots of scenes in this episode of jasmine just doing household tasks slowly and forlornly i I have some i have some questions about the layout of jasmine's house like there's this scene there's a paolo nutini track playing while she's forlornly unpacking scouring pads from a carrier bag scouring pads are an emotional purchase but i don't know about you (laughs) (laughs) that's the title of this week's episode but like it's rare that you say something and I have to stop because what you said is so mental. <laughs> Scouring pants are an emotional purchase. But like I, I was a lot older than I should have been when I realised that scouring pads are something we have to keep replacing. Yes, yes you do. I just didn't I just didn't realise that they were like they were not infinite. Because <laughs> like you're growing up, you just see like the same scouring pad, but it's not. <laughs> it's scouring pads that have been re- replaced. <laughs> oh dear um, so it's after she's unpacked these scouring pads she then re- has got this like folder of pictures she's got developed from the school so some are of her, like the football team some are of her doing silly faces with Davina one is clearly a production still of Eddie <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> why would Jasmine have been stood in that place in an Eddie maths class and like the thing is, is like she's like wanting to leave teaching, etc. Why would she print off these pictures for any other purpose than just wanting to like stare at them wistfully? Hmm. Like we've all been like sad people once, and yeah. we've just been like, oh, let's put on some sad music and just do these things. That's going to give me no emotional benefit, but it's going to look cool if I'm being filmed somehow <laughs> for, and, for a BBC primetime drama. <laughs> And that's just what she's done. She's like, if someone was filming this, it would look pretty wistful. So I'm just going to do this wistful thing. Um, so back at the school, 
Eddie is making a grubby deal with Mika and Brett. So it's very contrived. So Eddie's deal is that Mika and Brett should use the school council to put forward a dossier about bullying to help Jasmine. And then they can put forward environmental ideas at the school council, which the school will then use. And he needs an answer on this by the end of the day. (laughs) The idea is, is that rather than working against the system, if you work with the system, you can eventually um, then start getting what you want, which is, you know, lessons to a lot of people that they could have taken over the last five years. But I said I'd stop talking about politics on this. Um, the it's very odd how it all like shakes out, and I think I said this ages ago. But I, when this whole mad Mika Green stuff storyline started, I said if Eddie is talked out of his car by two school children, I'm quitting this. But he's just there doing it. He's just agreeing to it, like but it's he's done fine. It to save his protege. <laughs> But also, it's like, I want you to find... I, I, we don't know what point in the school day this is. They definitely yeah. had at least one or two lessons. So he's like saying, I'd like you to compile a dossier on bullying by the end of the day today. They write it out. They had their own little font and everything. This was just took it ages. And then when they had the meeting, and like when they're talking about anonymity in a room with 40 other children, as if anonymity is ever going to work there. But like... Do they just get to take a bunch of children out of class and just ask them baseless questions about bullying in the it's, hope it that seems, they'll get some answers? It seems they do. Um, we missed um, we missed a great uh, proper football man moment. Go on. Um, because when Colin was talking to um, Matt and he said, Matt said, "Oh, why don't we? Why don't you come over as like a mate or something, just to kind of like warm her up to you." And Colin says, what? Talk about how Man City need a decent midfield, like a couple of blokes. And I thought, if it doesn't work out between Colin and Matt, it would definitely work out between Matt and Tom. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So Janice is very angry, actually, at Maxine for this whole situation, because Janice says she already knew about Matt and she just didn't think it mattered because Janice is a hero. I thought that's where the episode was going to go. Like, I thought they kind of just like, it was just like a little punch down on Maxine for being so just stupid and backward. And then the whole episode was just going to ignore it. But it didn't. It was like, oh, no, no, we have one good child. And then all of the others are scum. That's it. Um, And this child is the one who was trying to get Dante murdered in episode two. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's the moral center of this school. (laughs) In, in baffling storyline development nudes, uh, Chloe turns down a date with sexy tech bro Dick Ran um, because she's looking wistfully at Dante. Yeah, it was, it was quite obvious that Dick Ran was going to ask Chloe out what with all the ele- electric chemistry those two <laughs> shared. <laughs> um, also, right, did he not... I don't know how old this like tech entrepreneur is supposed to be, but... A 17-year-old girl in a school uniform just walked into his place of work and he thought now is the right time to try it on. Yeah, I mean, say what you like for Dante. At least he checked her age constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Maxine has texted everyone at school about the fact Matt's gay. Um, Colin issues something of an ultimatum and says, you know, you need to be honest with your your mum, otherwise I don't know what we're doing. So Michaela, meanwhile, is on a sort of 
bullying rampage. She's found out about Matt. She confronts Mika in the bathrooms for some reason. It's not quite clear why she's decided to confront Mika. Um, she tells Mika that she always thought her mum was, uh, you know, she uses a, a homophobic slur. Um, but Mika stands up to Michaela and her gang. And this, for some reason, means that Mika now wants to embrace Eddie's grubby deal. That conversation was unintelligible. <laughs> I have, from the moment that I, I had no idea how, what that meant to anything. And the other girls looking on as if this was some big stand up moment. I had no idea what was going on. Who made a point there? What happened? And then like Mika sets up this whole idea that Michaela would sell her friends down the river, which is kind of paid off later in the episode, but her friends don't witness it. So therefore it means nothing. And what just what was happening? Maybe like I just you know because we as men have always talked about the mystery of the girls' bathroom, so maybe there things are just said differently. <laughs> uh, but it's just it's a contrived scenario to give Mika a reason to support Eddie's thing, isn't it? Yeah, but at what point in the day is this? <laughs> the other like the other kids are back from their school trip. So it must be lunchtime. It must be, so yes, I think in, so. In your, in your school, after lunchtime, how many lessons did you have? Um, t- t- I want to say two. See, I had, one, I had one. Mm. We had one longer lesson at the end of the day. So from this point here, Mika is now going to corral a bunch of students together to have a meeting during their final class time with no notice, no notice, and then write and build a bullying report. I was going to assume that the meeting was over lunch. But they were at lunch in the toilets. <laughs> so, that, so, okay, let's say that was the beginning of lunch. And right. the, school, the school council was presumably already due to meet at lunchtime. And all of the school t- council of 30 children have all been bullied. Yes, I don't know if you were in your school school council. I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's... <laughs> If you wanted to compile a situation of the 20 people most likely to have been bullied, <laughs> you could do worse. <laughs> I was in my primary school, school council. We achieved nothing. Oh, no, I never achieved anything in mine either. We just, we just, it was just a talking shop. Yeah. It was, like, it was when like, politics was like really calm and stuff. Everything, it, when politics is fine, it should all run like a school council. It's yeah. people say silly things. No, people just have normal conversations about maybe people should have more time for lunch and one person says something silly like i'm gonna cancel english and then everyone carries on with their day i can't imagine what school councils are like now <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably... school, like, school council at my old school is probably like exited europe or something <laughs> i don't know what it's doing um so do, do you remember a while back when it's in fact the jack o'connell episode where they were doing a Catherine tate bit for no reason yeah when Matt returns to the school, Michaela does the who dear me dear, gay dear no dear bit from Catherine Tate. Why was the Catherine Tate show such a big influence on the rise of Waterloo Road? It was a BBC show. It was. I, I think we've kind of forgotten how big the Catherine Tate show was. Yeah, I remember it being big, but it wasn't as big as like Little Britain, for example. Yeah, but thank God they didn't quote Little Britain. Well, yeah, um, I mean, like, I don't, I don't. It might be one of the things they got a little bit 
Correct. Because I can remember Catherine Tate being a big thing at school. I was, I think, slightly younger for it. So it used to be one of those like kind of like quite naughty things you could stay up and yeah. watch late, um, later one night. But yeah, I don't know. It is odd the number. I didn't pick up that was a Catherine Tate reference. Mm. So, um, but then Janice comes in, comes over to Matt and says. Says that she'll look after Matt. I'll get people to do some serious damage. It's good to have series one Janice back. <laughs> I have a question about this. So do you know in the episode where she wanted bloody vengeance on Dante really yes. early on, she inscripted the uh, help of the guy with track lines in his hair, which as we all know means he's a criminal. Yeah. Um, so where did that guy go? My theory is he failed Janice. <laughs> And he's buried underneath the school <laughs> and therefore was disappeared. It's like Stalin's Russia. <laughs> Dimitri, disappear him. Yeah. Um, so, Paul Langley and a group of his friends and Bolton have um, uh, graffitied a homophobic slur on the toilet wall about Matt. Um, they leave one of the kids um, holding the uh, spray can. Um, and that kid is then taken to the cooler by Matt. Um, and the kid says, oh, he, I covered for my friends because uh, if uh, if I didn't go along with it, then they'd ask why I didn't go along with it and whether I might be gay as well. And then he eventually ends up coming out to, to Matt. What? Soundtracked to Naive by the Kooks. Yes. Why? <laughs> you should have seen my, mine and my other half's reaction when Naive when the Coops came on. We were like, again? <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm not even certain where the appropriate use of that song is anymore. <laughs> like, I, I have no barometer for when that song is, is appropriate because it's certainly not appropriate for now, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but yeah, it, I, I I think it's quite interesting what they do here and what they do with the whole kind of storyline for this character as well um, is, you know, I, uh, I, I lived in like a, a mixed world of both knowing all of the sporty guys and also doing lots of drama. So I was kind of like immune to all of these things, but I was able to witness quite a lot of the whole, you know, I'm a 14 year old, 15 year old guy and I am all about testosterone and anything that's not my way is, oh my God, you're gay, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, can, I think they did kind of really capture what the kind of pressure would be on guys in those groups yes. who, you know, who were gay, but then also saw all of their friends were just like, you know, maybe not even, they were saying and doing homophobic things, even if they weren't like, you know, actually to their core homophobic because it was just the way they acted and that's what they thought was fine. And they didn't know anybody that way. Um, but yeah, I thought that was quite interesting how they managed to kind of showcase that and then where they kind of take it on later. I think it's quite Waterloo road got to a kind of a place where we're at now, like mm. in kind of conversations around like, sexuality and yeah, gender. Yeah, where it gets to is effectively saying, you know, it, it's about the, the nonsense of trying to label things and being able to um, embrace the fact that sexuality is a spectrum and that maybe you don't fit snugly into one of the approved groups, quote-unquote. Yeah, and I mean, they get to it in kind of like a haphazard way. It's almost yeah. just like, this guy doesn't fancy any of the girls in the school, so he thinks he's gay. And Matt, like, rightly points out, no, that's just like, it's about the confusion of this time and you finding out stuff and like i found it a bit odd how they'd have the kind of 
you know, the gay teacher tell another child he was just confused. That's really yeah. odd. <laughs> it, it, that's it. It's like, it's, it, they really fumble it. It's, it's, it's odd because what the point they're trying to get to is the right point. <laughs> they're not doing it intentionally. They do not, they do not on purpose get to a point where they discuss the idea of sexuality as a spectrum, but they mishandle their things so much that it kind of ends up in a nice place. Whereas what they want to be doing is saying, oh no, because all the girls at this school are minging, this guy thinks he's gay. So yeah, um, Mika's addressing the school council. Um, she asks about Michaela and whether anyone's been bullied by Michaela and they all give loads of um, uh, information. Uh, Mika and Brett present this, as you said, um, impeccably crafted dossier to Eddie. So quickly. <laughs> so quickly. Say um, what you want about Brett, but his flair for publishing and publishing to <laughs> deadline, it's so good. That's why he's editor of the school paper that we've never heard about since and that one time. <laughs> all of the sex he has as well. I don't know how he fits it all in, quite frankly. I, just, I don't. He's just... on, on top of his hair care. It's <laughs> his ties. Yeah, maybe that's why he doesn't take his socks off. <laughs> he, has, he has to shave time somewhere. He's got, somewhere, he's got so many other places to be. It's like, oh, Brett, why won't you take your socks off? And it's just like, I have a paper to run. <laughs> um, I hope people remember the sock bit. So, no, so do I. Um, <laughs> In my mind, I'm, I've forgotten that, like, because of how we record the episodes, I have no awareness that that was four months ago. Yeah, I was editing a podcast just before we started recording this, and there's a running joke we're doing in that that I have no idea where it started, so I've just been cutting it out. Um, <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> so, um, Eddie immediately, on being presented with this dossier, offers to get rid of his presumably very expensive car and get a smaller one. <laughs> It's, it's, it's absolutely baffling. Eddie, Eddie refuses to slog it here on public transport. Mm. But Joe, who did slog it here on public transport? Who's that? King of our hearts, Andrew <laughs> Treneman. <laughs> he certainly did. He certainly did. Our buses on episode one, his many, many I... taxis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did he ever drive to school? No. I feel like he did the bus in episode one just so he could arrest a child and then he just drove. Then he just appeared at the school like a phantom. <laughs> he just never left. That was the secret. Yeah. <laughs> So Rachel does some really ineffectual thing where she goes into the cooler to meet Matt, vaguely offers help and then leaves. Um, Matt's decided he's going to come clean to his mum, who at literally that moment just happens to pull up in a taxi. Um, yeah. She Because she wants to be shown around the school. Um, I, I, I never believe like, like, just like taxis would be this show's greatest plot device. Yeah. <laughs> But when they want to advance the plot, they're just like, a taxi appears? Yes, 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 let's do that. Um, so the mum says, oh, I see what you mean about some of the children being a bit rough. Um, she says that she has spoken to the head of their local prep where she lives um, about uh, Matt and the possibility of him getting a job there, which she assumes is what he wants, um, much to Steph's surprise. How is it to Steph's surprise? Like, honestly, you know... If you worked in this school and you got offered a job at a prep school, you'd take it, wouldn't you? Probably. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, the last guy you left got offered, you know, to rule Rwanda. So I get a pre- <laughs> I get that a prep school is a little bit of a step down, but still. Um, in timeline news, this is when Matt takes his mum for lunch. 
What is happening <laughs> to this show? I don't. Oh. I am one day gonna like. I'm gonna go back to one of these episodes and I'm gonna try and draw like out like a timeline of what's going on <laughs> and estimate how long the school day must be. Yeah. So if you're on the fence about subscribing to the Patreon, there you go. <laughs> You get to see my doodles. I'm just like, <laughs> how long has this been going on? Um, so uh, the mum wants Matt to settle down and get a job at the the prep and find a, a wife. Um, she says that um, Matt and his dad sort of pushed her out or something while he was little. It's not really fully explained. No, it's just the ramblings of a woman we're later supposed to believe is crazy. But she's, she is quite crazy, to be fair. So Yeah, it's an odd one. Um, so we cut back to Jasmine, who frankly is an absolute lockdown mood. She's just walking <laughs> around really slowly in pyjamas, putting mugs in the sink. <laughs> like, all right. Does she, does she have the bed in her living room? <laughs> I assume it's like a sofa bed. But like that's obviously like goals, but she has like her sleeping bed. And then, but here's the thing, the head of her bed is up by the wall and it's the same wall where she has the TV tucked into the corner. That is not a good way to watch television. <laughs> I am very passionate about watching TV in your bed. And the idea that she would put a bed in her living room, but then bastardize it in such a way. <laughs> also, can we release a book? This Patreon's gonna go wild. <laughs> called uh the carpets of waterloo road because <laughs> a carpet in jasmine's flat oh my god <laughs> i can't say i noticed it's disgusting <laughs> it was like it was like do you remember like in the 90s or whatever when everyone had like really loud wallpaper and carpets with patterns yeah and then at some point everyone saw sense and they now paint their rooms one color with a statement wall and have yeah. beige carpets yeah yeah <laughs> uh so eddie shows up with the bully dossier jasmine's still not happy about it she doesn't want to come back um she says she felt like she was alone while she was at the school. Eddie says, I believe in you, young Padawan or something. Um, <laughs> she says, I don't think I'm going to come to the hearing. Um, Eddie says, oh, you should come along, uh, make your decision later. And then Eddie says, if you're not there, I'll know. What? Because I'll know what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, every every episode of this makes me identify more with Neil Morrissey. <laughs> because like we're not to say we're not that positive about this series would be an understatement. But the stuff he gets saddled with, my <laughs> golly goodness! <It's laughs> oh god, we made Tom say golly. <laughs> the show's really done it now. Um, so after, uh, so there's there's a brief bit where Matt's being sad in his classroom and Steph gives him some romantic pep talk that's not worth talking about. Um, then Stuart Hordley shows up because Rachel hasn't done anything all episode and they need to advance her plot. Um, he gives her the folder with all of the information about her past so that he doesn't have a hold on her anymore. Um, he then, you know, because he's a man, immediately asks her out to dinner. <laughs> 
Yeah, and he goes full like Reddit nice guy about it as well. Because yeah. when she says no, he goes, you got what you want and now you're done with it. And it's like, are you just pretending you didn't blackmail her into a construction contract? Yeah. And he's just like, I, I don't understand now. You know, we have this lovely bond and you're just throwing it away. For what? Because I'm giving you the evidence of your past prostitution. No, <laughs> Rachel. Um, so with the caveat that I've just said how much I identify with Neil Morrissey, he is about to get the line of the episode. Okay. So Stuart, le- so Stuart leaves as Eddie is walking into Rachel's office and Eddie asks, what did Nob the Builder want? Which is funny on so many levels. <laughs> because not only is it a brilliant sweary pun, but also he was Bob the Builder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was he? <laughs> he was. Oh. It's a I meta that's... joke, an actual meta joke. <laughs> Good God. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, so Michaela has now decided she has ultimate power over all staff. Um, so th- they're in this class with Matt. I don't know what they're talking about. Um, Paul and Michaela suggest that Matt let Dom off earlier because Matt fancies him and tried to make a move on him or something. Michaela threatens to have Matt sacked the same way she had Jasmine sacked. Um, Dom then comes out to the rest of the class uh, in order to, to, to sort of stop them doing that. And then we get the scene we alluded to earlier where um, Dom sort of says he's not that sure whether he's actually gay. Matt says, oh, it could, you know, it's just, as, he's, as you said, it's just sort of the confusion of the, of the time. And Dom says he hasn't really had sexual feelings for anyone, regardless of gender. And, you know, they get within an inch of actually making an interesting point about sexuality, but then run scared in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a couple of thoughts on this whole section. Like, again, I've already, I've already put my stance out there that teachers shouldn't hit children. So with that's... that in mind, with that in mind, every like Michaela scene, they do do her well as like a just arch villain. Yeah. Like every scene I get the bit from like role models when you've got Paul Rudd saying, I will do it. I will hit a child. <laughs> Um, and also like I get the kind of you know what the Matt and Dom scene is supposed to do but you know is it ever appropriate for a teacher to ask a child if they had sexual feelings for anybody in the context of the conversation they're having oh yeah, I get in that in that context in that conversation sure but when you kind of like look at it from distance of teacher pupil you kind of just go hmm it's not like especially. It's not like he's grabbing kids out the corridor, going, "Who do you want to shag? <laughs> do you want to shag her?" Oh, yeah. Actually, that's what Steph does. I don't know why I found that inappropriate. <laughs> Steph has been running around doing that for three series now. It's, I mean, it's literally what Steph does. Um, yeah. It's yeah. So that that's all bizarre. Um, Eddie is uh, talking to Rachel prior to the uh, hearing. He says uh, there are more important things than solar panels. That hasn't aged well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) this climate change thing don't worry about that (laughs) we get a Nigel appearance always like to have a Nigel Nigel. appearance (laughs) Um, I love Nigel, does he speak in this one? oh he does, he does he does does a bit, he does a bit Um, so Eddie presents the dossier says um, Michaela is a thug and a bully we get a few recountings of things Michaela has done including quite creatively and evilly Making a child eat grass and moo. Um, <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't laugh. Which is not but... common or common or garden bullying. That is 
That's that's proper. That's good. Um, that's garden ten. That's garden tending bullying. Yes. <laughs> Jasmine turns up belatedly. Um, Michaela's friends have been, I don't know, waiting for her. She just sort of bumps it's- into them, and they um, they confess that it was all them and all Michaela. Um, then she tells this information to the hearing. Michaela tries to continue to double down. And then I don't know what Jasmine says here, if I'm honest with you. I do not know the argument she's making. Um, it culminates in her going, either take me as I am or take this. And it's her resignation. And then the scene just ends and we're supposed to think that's resolved everything. And I don't understand how or why. <laughs> I have, I, this scene doesn't make any sense from start to finish. So let's get back. First of all, the only thing that does make sense is when the governors are turning up and Eddie is looking at them, he goes, get the custard creams ready. Yes. And Eddie knows custard creams are you convince a man of everything. I'm convinced I am still with my other half because of the amount of custard creams we had in our first <laughs> three weeks together. I was suggestible to anything at that point. That's Darren Brown's secret. He just got <laughs> armfuls of custard cream. <laughs> <Custom cream. laughs> and so, like, the governors are there, and they're just like, Jasmine's not here to defend herself, so obviously she's guilty. Then Eddie reads out two bits of um, evidence from this book, and then, and then Nigel's like, oh, yeah, Michaela, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes. And it's like, it, t- it tucks into, like, cause obviously we all know Michaela's guilty, but, like, it feeds into, I have two irrational fears, and... One is that, like, I will get convicted for murder because I can't remember where I was an evening six months ago. <laughs> and, like, Eddie is just here. He just presents two unsourced bits of evidence. And Andrew goes, he's got you to bang to rights there, Michaela. There's also, nothing you can do. The thing that gets me, so they're, they're obviously supposed to be anonymous reports, but some of those acts of bullying are so specific. Oh, Michaela would know. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, uh, not yeah. like she, it's not like she made a hundred different kids eat grass and moo. That was one kid. <laughs> oh, that's Moo Boy. That's yeah, Darren, exactly. that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Jasmine's speech. She just walks in and just speaks. It's like it's like the famous bit from the office when like Michael just goes, Sometimes I start a sentence, I have no idea where I'm going. I just hope I'll find it along the way. And then she just goes, It's me as I am or my resignation. And then throws it down. It's like, but no one here thinks anything about you is wrong. No. Like, the only reason this is happening is because you were accused of punching a child. You have proved that you didn't do that. There's no other part of your teaching that is up for debate here. Just what? Just stop it. What are you doing? <laughs> Does that make sense? It was really stressful, that scene yeah. to watch. What's, what's almost worse is the subsequent scene of Eddie and Jasmine, where... There's no, there's no dialogue in this scene. It's just Jasmine stood in the doorway of her classroom, looking triumphantly at her classroom. And then Eddie just sort of looms behind her. It's really <laughs> strange. Oh, he looms. He's a loomer. He is a loomer. At least he's not storming around the corridors. <laughs> um, so, uh, Colin doesn't want Matt to tell to come out to his mum just because of him because Colin is worried that Matt will then throw it back at him later as some great big sacrifice that Matt made on his behalf. I'm not sure I quite follow the argument. I quite like Colin, but he's been all over the place this episode. That's what I mean. He's, he's actually, you know, he's a nice person, but from scene to scene, his viewpoint has completely changed Mm -hmm. with no external stimulus. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, is like, obviously we, 
we have no expertise in no. what this couple is going through. So I would not like to speak to the emotions of being a gay man in a relationship with another man and them not being willing to share your relationship with a close member of their family. I can understand that being keeping like hidden as a secret, like a dirty little secret or whatever would be a wrinkle in a relationship and what that would have. So maybe what they've done here is something that we as watchers just cannot relate to mm. because we, we would never have to cross this, this barrier. But yeah, from the outside looking in what Colin is all up and down in this and because because it's all told from Matt's perspective, we see it as Colin keeps moving the goalposts for Matt and that's bad. Yeah. Whereas if they took the time to have Colin explain why he felt all of these things, maybe we, we would be able to kind of empathize with Colin's shifting viewpoint. Because I can imagine it is kind of a thing which is like, I don't want to be a secret. I want you to share me with your family. I want to feel like I'm an accepted part of your life. But also if your family rejects you, I don't want to be held guilty for that. Yes. But the way like each of those scenes is kind of presented, it's just, oh, Colin has changed his mind again. Colin yeah. has changed his mind again. See, um, let me write the show. God damn. <laughs> so as it turns out, um, we realise that Matt's mum's found some of the photos and put them in the bin. Um, she says, oh, I always, I've always known, blah, 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 blah. Um, Colin walks in just as he's coming out to her. Um, the mum makes some comment about uh, Matt putting his parents through this, inflicting this upon them. Um, she's awful to him and then leaves. Then uh, we see Matt and Colin having this romantic chat. And because the show doesn't know any other way for anyone to express their love, Matt just goes, marry me. Yeah. Let's just put a nice little button on the end of this scene. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Marry me. That's... Let's have a baby, and then, because it'll be Tom's somehow, let's get rid of the baby. <laughs> All babies in Rochdale are Tom's, it's just a known fact. Um, um, yeah, I'm not really sure about this storyline. It felt like they had to do it eventually. Mm -hmm. They had to do some version of this storyline eventually. But it feels like they just did it because they had to, not because they had an actual story to tell. Yeah. The story with Matt and Dom is far more interesting. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. That'll be a much more interesting kind of like kid of the week storyline. Yes. Than, yeah, because um, I think I said this to you earlier that Dom is ostensibly the kid of the week, but really Matt is the kid of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, can we just like talk about how naughty, like, it was a very naughty thing when you have like things in TV shows where the parents go, oh, I always knew yeah. that you were gay. Oh, you, once, like, like, you once touched a dress and <laughs> <laughs> you like singing Les Mis, therefore. <laughs> It was like in Glee, which is like, I've known since you were five, all you asked for your birthday was a pair of sensible heels. And it's just yes. like, well, maybe you just wanted a pair of sensible heels. Like, it's just, again, I get it's how, like, things have moved on and stuff like that. But someone is not a thing until they tell you that they are a thing. Yeah. And it was like one of those things. I know that, like, um, gay guys in my school went through it a lot, which is everyone around them just assumed, but they were not at that point ready to tell people. So I'm one of my closest friends. People were saying, oh, he, they, they come up to me and they say, oh, he's gay, right? And I was like, he has not said that to anybody. Yes. Let's just leave it alone. And it, But it's just so... It, it, one of those ways the show dates itself is just like, oh, yeah, parents always knew. They just want to kind of sit you down. They can just tell by, like, you know, what you're into. It's like, mm, I don't think that's the case. 
Um, there's a, so there's a nice little scene where Bolton still wants to play football with Dom, even though he's come out, which is at odds with everything we know about Bolton, who was very aggressive to the kid who was not gay, but was HIV positive a few weeks ago. Yeah. I... <laughs> so that happens. Eddie has finished... I was, I was preoccupied with the fact that both of them were allowed to wear white shoes at school. <laughs> Yeah, the the outcry when people wore black trainers rather than black shoes. Oh, it was like the things people got sent home for. <laughs> I mean, again, twee, how twee the world used to be when you used to get sent home from school because of your shoes and not because you had a possibly deadly virus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Eddie's finished looming behind Jasmine. He goes to get in his car, which has been covered in paint and posters there's a really dramatic sound effect though when he comes out to see the yeah. car it's like a horror movie jump scare it's like <laughs> dang it's really really unusual um so eddie goes back inside to call for a taxi for some reason he decides to look in rachel's drawer um I, I, I think we're supposed to go he'd seen her put something in that drawer after talking to Stuart earlier so he wanted mm-hmm. to see what it was. Why, we don't know. But he sees all of the, the information about um, her being a sex worker. Um, and so now Eddie knows. And then in the next time trailer, he's throwing his weight around because he knows about that. Um, and then there's also uh, Janice and the supply teacher in an inappropriate relationship. And we get um, a big spoiler as we see that he has weird shrines to Janice and some of the kids. Yeah. See, the the next time trailer did me a big favour because I don't think I'm really old enough to understand what they mean by vice. So the headline they always show... (laughs) City vice crackdown is what they show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like crackdown on vice. And I'm like, what? that can mean anything really to me. But then when he says she was a prostitute, I'm like, ah, okay, I see that now. Um, But yeah. And then, yeah, the, the whole like supply teacher thing. Very odd. Like, th- there's bits... I find it really funny, like, references to it in this episode where they're like, oh, he wants to make a bit of an impression. He wants to be here on a bit more of a permanent basis. He's angling for jobs. And all we see him do is give kids their books and engage them about well, Shakespeare. No, it's, well, yeah, it's because it's he gave Shakespeare to the Lessons for Life kids. And we all know what is the only thing they're allowed to read? Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. So he's a maverick suggesting they should read some Shakespeare. I'm like, right, Tom, be honest. Be honest. Would you rather kids read Shakespeare or Catcher in the Rye? I would rather they read Shakespeare because Catcher in the Rye is terrible. But Shakespeare makes no sense. <laughs> it's unintelligible. It's not unintelligible. It's, it's utter gibberish. <laughs> All right. Whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that's where we leave that episode. I thought this was a rough episode. It's a, it's a long show. Yeah. It certainly is. This one, this one felt the hour. <laughs> it certainly did. That, um, that should be our like rating scale. Is <laughs> did, how long did it feel? An hour or less? It felt like less than an hour. It was a good episode. Definitely didn't feel like less than an hour. Um, play out song. I'm I'm back in Keen. No, it's naive by the Coops. <laughs> It can't always be naive by the kooks. I feel like uh, someone yes. needs to sit, sit the music supervisors of the show down and have that conversation with them. But <laughs> Yes, it can. Much like 
the, the answer to the question, what's the best kook song, is always naive by the kooks, obviously. The it's answer not, to what it's, is. Uh, it's, she moves in her own way. I quite like Seaside, but I'm, I'm a hipster. That's, that's a hipster pick. The, the, was, there are three. You are allowed. <laughs> You're allowed naive. She moves in her own way or ooh la. Anything else is a hipster pick. <laughs>